Well, good morning and greetings in the Master's name. It is good to see the house so well filled this morning. I'd like to say thank you, too, for all of you that supported uh, the Gearing family. I know this is a hard time for them. There's nothing like a church family. We are talking to Sunday school a little bit this morning, of course, about traditions. And, uh, you know, we like, sometimes we look around at others and say, well, I like that tradition. So I like, I like that tradition over there. But there's something about being a part of a family that you know what to expect. You know what they are, those traditions are. You know how you do things. And that's what we are here at Peak this morning. We're a family. Everybody's part of a family. And that's beautiful. I'm so glad that I can be part of a family, family of God and part of the Peak family this morning. <clears throat> After the message, I'd like to give an opportunity for testimonies also, specifically thinking of um, maybe something that you learn from, uh, from revivals, something that um, struck you, spoke to you, moved you. Um, maybe something the message this morning speaks to you. I'd like to give you opportunity for that after the message. So this morning I would like to <clears throat> look at the story of Lazarus. I know we all know the story well. But as I was reading through this story in my personal devotions, God brought some things to mind that I never noticed before. So I'd like to look at this this story this morning. Let's turn to John 11. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got a bit of a frog in my throat this morning. <clears throat> I want to read, I'd like to read through it and, and pull some things out as we go through. I'd like to start by reading the first four verses. John 11 Verses 1 to 4. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So Lazarus was in a fix. He was sick. Deathly sick. And he needed help, and there was none to be had, physically speaking. Couldn't help himself. We all find ourselves in Lazarus' shoes in some way or another in life. We are all helpless at times to change our miserable situation. Mary and Martha, his sisters, did their best. They stepped in, and there was only one thing they could do that they knew of, and that was to call for the master. They knew Jesus could heal. We find ourselves in very much the same situation today. We know Jesus can heal. We know he has all power. And sometimes our heart burns for our brother or sister that is in a situation that we can't change. 
They found themselves there and they called for Jesus. Verse 2, we look at this. It helps us um, understand how much these siblings love Jesus. Um, Mary had been the one that anointed Jesus' feet with ointment and wiped it with her hair. She was willing to do anything for her master. But then verse 3 tells us how much Jesus loved them. The sisters, when they talk to Jesus here, describe Lazarus as he whom thou lovest. And when they, the word love here is phileo, which just means a very affectionate love. Jesus enjoyed their company. He enjoyed being with these people. He was very affectionate of them is what they were, of them was what, what they were saying. Evidently, Jesus' friendship was la with Lazarus was very well known, not only to the sisters and to Lazarus, but to the community around. Going on to verse 4, this verse gives us hope for the one that is sick. A lot of people have looked at this verse and found hope when there was no other hope to be had. Jesus said, the sickness is not unto death, but it's interesting because Lazarus died. Why did Jesus say the sickness was not unto death? Jesus saw beyond Lazarus' death. He already knew how things were going to turn out. So he could confidently tell them the sickness is not unto death. He knew how they events would play out and how he was going to use this in his kingdom. And he also knew how he would use those events to show you and I who he is. And when we're going through hard times, through difficult situations, remember that what Lazarus went through here, that his situation showed others who Jesus was. Now, the end of that verse, Jesus says the words that give Christians hope and comfort even during the hardest times. This sickness, or whatever you may be going through, is for the glory of God. Have you ever wondered why you're going through what you are? I know even in the few years that we've been here, there's some of you have gone through some things that just... Why, God? It seems God is leading you one way and then the door gets shut. Why? Why are you going through some of these trials or hardships? Maybe it's an illness, financial difficulty, or catastrophe. Anything that happens to you that is not under your control, and you ask God, why? Why do you let this happen? Why am I going through this? Most of us have been in that situation sometime or another. Do you know that God doesn't waste anything if we give it to him? No matter what our situations are, God doesn't waste it. He will receive glory from it if we allow him to. If not in the physical world, and this is something that we need to get a hold of, if not in the physical world, in this, it, he will receive glory in the spiritual world. 
We don't see everything that's happening. I want you to think back to Job. We just studied Job in our Sunday school lessons. If we put ourselves in Job's shoes and in the community around Job, in his time, what did God look like to the people around Job? He looked like a failure. God's number one servant, most obedient, godly man anyone knew. Everybody around, to everybody around, it looked like God failed him. He failed to protect his servant. But in the spiritual realm, Satan was losing. You see, the battle's a lot greater than what we can see. Now we can look back and see what all that was for. What the people around Job were seeing, what looked like God was losing, God was winning. So when we're going through those times in our lives where, where's God at? Why? 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 If we allow him to, God is winning. He will receive glory even if we don't see it. He will receive glory from our situations if we allow him to. The end of verse 4 says that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Is that our goal, goal in our lives? That the Son of God might be glorified thereby. No matter how sick or how healthy, no matter how poor or rich, what is the goal in our life? That God could be glorified? Do we live daily with that as our mindset? And I say to my shame that I don't like I should. We should because God has it under control if we allow him to. Do we trust God with the outcome of whatever our situations are? Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days in the, still in the same place where he was. Now Jesus, the verse 5 says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And the word used for love here in verse 5 is, agape, is agapeo, or as we say, agape love. It's the deepest kind of love there is. It's the kind of love that would make a person lay down their life for their friend or for someone else. Now, do you think Jesus loves you like he loved Lazarus? Well, he died for you, didn't he? It says that he loved these people with agape love. He proved it to you and I by dying for us. So if you were the one verse 5 was written about, it would say the same thing. Jesus loves you with an agape love. But notice that even though Jesus loved Lazarus with an agape love, he did not respond to the sister's request right away. He waited two more days. And we don't know exactly why he waited that long. God's timetable is not our timetable. But I did find an, inter an interesting theory as I studied this on why he waited. Apparently, some of the Jews believed that the soul hovered near the body for three days after someone died. Local belief, Jewish belief. Obviously, there's no backing to that. But that's what they, some of them believed. 
Well, if that was the case, because Jesus waited two days, he didn't get there until four days late after the death. It removed that question from their minds whether the soul was simply waiting to rejoin the body. So he bypassed, he proved to them that it was his power and not simply Lazarus or the soul waiting to rejoin the body. Again, we don't know for sure why all he waited. That was one of the theories. But what we do know is that God's timetable is not our timetable. And sometimes the greatest amount of refinement happens in the waiting. So if you're tempted to think that God has forgotten you, doesn't care about what you're going through, remember this account. He hears our cry. And he doesn't waste anything that we give to him. Even the death of a loved one. Let's look at verses 7 to 15. Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. First thing we need to see in this passage is what Jesus' purpose is for allowing anything we face in life. It's found in the middle of verse 15. To the intent that you may believe. That's why we go through hard times, to deepen our belief and faith in Christ. God has a purpose for everything he allows us to go through, that ye might believe. Can you believe enough to trust him with whatever it is that you're facing? The next thing that we see in these verses is fear. Fear of what might happen. In verse 8, the disciples were scared of what the Jews might do to Jesus if they go back to Judea, and with good reason. We could read the account in the previous chapter. We don't have time for that this morning, but they had left Judea because the Jews were trying to kill Jesus there, so they left. They feared the same thing would happen if they returned. And in all reality, that is exactly what did happen. But Jesus had a lesson to teach them on fear. If you look at verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. What I believe he's really trying to tell them there is that they did not need to fear. They were walking in the light because they were with him. He had a certain amount of time, and he was referring to that when he said 12 hours. Are, not, are there not 12 hours in the day? Jesus had a set amount of time here on earth for those disciples to walk in the light with him. To get, 
He was trying to walk with them and show them who he was and prove to them who he was. And he's saying to them, as long as you're walking with me, you don't need to fear. It's only those that walk in darkness that need to fear. And the third thing we see in this passage is that sometimes what we think would be the best in a given situation is not actually what God has in mind or what in reality is best for us. Our focus tends to be on the physical. But what is best for us physically is not always what's best for us spiritually. The disciples thought that Lazarus would be better off to keep on sleeping. If he's sleeping, he's going to get better, right? But Jesus knew what they needed to see. They needed to see Lazarus wake up, or as we understand, resurrected. To help them and the others believe who Jesus was. What about in our lives? Pain, grief, financial setbacks, family difficulties, marriage problems, and the list could go on of situations that seem to us like God is not in control. And there's nothing good that could come out of this, whatever situation we're facing. But just like the disciples, we don't see the whole picture. Jesus does see it, he knows what is best. Do we trust him with those places? Excuse me. Remember God's purpose that we find in verse 15? To the intent that she might believe. God uses the events in our lives to show us who he is. And sometimes he uses the events in our lives to show others who he is. We'll see that later on in this this chapter. Now let's look at verse 16. Then said Thomas which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples. Let us go also that we may die with him. Thomas is an interesting character. doesn't say a lot in scripture about Thomas. But he seems to be a bit of a pessimist. But Thomas, if you look at the name, it's actually, or Didymus, is another name for Thomas, means twin. People actually feel like he looked the most like Jesus and could be the most easily mistaken for Jesus. And so people feel like he may have been a little worried that he was going to be the one killed if they go back. Maybe that's why he said, let's go and just die with him. But Thomas was just sure if they went back, they were going to die. And Jesus did. It did cost him his life when he went back. Let's go on to verses 17 to 27. Then when Jesus came, he found that he, Lazarus, had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth, 
and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So Martha goes and meets Jesus. And in that conversation after they met, Jesus makes one of the greatest I am statements in the Bible. I am the resurrection and the life. I am indicates a continuous form of being. Was, is, will be. I am. He still is the resurrection and the life. And verse 25 makes a statement, but verse 26 tells us what is necessary for that statement to be fulfilled in us. We must live in and believe in who Jesus was. We must live and believe in Jesus, not who he was, but who he is. To live in means it takes effort. It takes action. We have to live there. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later on. Let's look at verses 28 to 38. And when she had said, so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Now we know that, that Jesus was God in human flesh. But this passage helps us understand that a little bit better. It's easy for us to get a, a picture of God as being a distant being that looks down on earth. We understand from Scripture that He loves us. But this, thing, this passage has three different things that it says that give us a picture into the heart of God. Twice it says He groaned within Himself. And it says once that he wept. Now, was Jesus the same? Is Jesus the same today as he was on earth? Was he the same at creation as he was when he was here on earth? I believe he is, and he was. And he's the same emotions that he shows in this passage are the same emotions he feels today when people don't believe. When he puts pours so much into our lives and we don't believe. He also is touched by our grief. The grief of those around him, his loved ones, what they were going through, touches him. 
He understands your pain and he cares. And as parents, we can understand a little bit what Jesus goes through. Sometimes we understand our children's pain, but it's the best thing for them is to let them endure that pain because we see the end result. Let's look at verses 38 to 45. I read 38 already, but I want to read it again. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by it, excuse me, which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. So Jesus comes to the grave or the cave where Lazarus was buried. Behind that stone, sealed that cave, lay a decomposing human body. The death of that body was the source of all the pain and emotions that these sisters were facing. But no one could change the situation. Death is final. It's an end to an earthly life. And that earthly life had ended four days ago, and it's not. That's... I can understand these, these ladies... When they said, we don't want to open that stone. We don't want to roll that stone away. Lazarus had been dead too long for Jesus to do anything. But something very interesting happens here. I want you to take note of what Jesus said to them. He said, take away the stone. And that's the title of the message. Take away the stone. Jesus had the power to roll away that stone. He was a man. But he said, take away the stone. Martha replies, Jesus, that body in there stinks. I'm rephrasing what she said. That body in there stinks. He's been dead four days. Nobody wants to smell that. It's so bad, nobody wants to deal with it. It'd be better to just leave it buried, move on with life. What have you and I buried? What's behind our stone? Pain, grief, disappointments, rejections, failures. Sin, and the list could go on. 
What's happened in your life that maybe you had no control over, but it's caused you much pain and sorrow. And the best thing to do was to just bury it. But it still hurts. Maybe we've cried out to Jesus for help. But instead of taking away the pain, Jesus says, roll away the stone. That's exactly what happened here in the story. Like I said, Jesus was a man. He could have rolled that stone away himself. He had as much physical strength as any other man around him. Or he could have done like he did on Mount Carmel. Fire fell and the stones vanished. Pfft, gone. Wouldn't that have been cool? If he had called down fire and the the gravestone just poof was gone and Lazarus walks out. You know, Jesus isn't all that interested in big, glamorous things. What he is interested in is our obedience. Let's look again at verse 40. Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Martha had said she believed. She had said that God would do whatever Jesus asked. But up until this point, her belief had not required action. See, there's a deep spiritual lesson here for us. Saying we believe that Jesus heals or can heal our hurts or mend our relationships or help us forgive those that have wronged us is simple. Doing our part And taking away the stone is the hard part. Belief requires action. It requires obedience for God to work. Our faith has got to be more than a feeling. It's got to be more than verbal. We have to do our part. We have to take away whatever it is that keeps that decomposing thing underground. And I don't know what your stone looks like. Or how big or difficult it may be to move. To move that stone, you may have to be honest. You may have to be, have an open conversation with a brother or sister and tell them where they have hurt you or a mom or a dad and that you forgive them. You may have to be honest with yourself about the pride in your heart and ask somebody to walk with you and help you overcome it. You may have to be open to someone about the bitterness in your heart towards someone that may not even be alive anymore. It's amazing how many people hold deep grudges against dead people. But the bitterness is still very alive even though the person's dead. Sometimes we just need to go to somebody and say, you know what, this is, this is down in my heart. I need to talk to somebody. Would you walk with me? Roll that stone away. Open up that hole in our heart. You and Jesus may be the only ones that know what your stone looks like. But when you finally get to the place 
where you're willing to step out in obedience and roll, roll away that stone. Your obedience opens the door for Jesus to clean out that grave. It allows him to do the impossible and resurrect life where once there was death. Maybe you think your situation's different. Or that Jesus loved Lazarus more than he does you. Or that it's been too long and the hurts are too great. And the pain or shame is buried too deep. I'd just like to challenge us with this. Jesus loves you and I just as much as he loved Lazarus. He feels your sorrow and pain just like he felt Mary and Martha's. He understands your fear just like he did the disciples. And he is just as interested in emptying your grave as he was Lazarus's. Ask him for direction and he will show you what stone needs to be moved. And if you say, is it worth it? Let's look at verse 45. Again, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. When we roll away the stone and our grave gets emptied out and that spot in our lives gets healed, look what it does to the people around. 